Welcome. This is Raul Lowry Contreras, and this is the Contreras Report, an Hispanic view of the U.S. LA. We have a new press secretary. Her name is Kaylee McEnany, press secretary to the President of the United States. And we'd like to look at her today and see how she's been doing in her first uh, few days on the job. She's a Harvard Law School graduate. She's very bright and she's very forceful in her presentation. She does not lack any self-confidence or self-worth, feeling of self-worth. But she has made some statements in these first few days in her second uh, press conference that need examination. For example, when reporters asked her about the president admitting to taking the medicine hydroxychloroquine, uh, she said, you have to have a prescription. That's the way it must be done. That's what she said on Fox and Friends. Any use of hydroxychloroquine has to be in consultation with your doctor. Well, I hate to quibble with her, but uh, she's wrong. Actual use, if you need a, a prescription, you get one and then you get the medicine. That's true. But the letter that the White House physician wrote regarding this matter does not say he wrote a prescription to the President of the United States for this medicine. He does not say it. And you don't need a prescription to take it. You don't need a pres prescription to get it. He could have a friend. He could order somebody to go get a, a prescription for it and then uh, buy it and give it to him. He doesn't need a prescription to use it. And without the doctor stating unequivocally, I prescribed this medicine to the President of the United States, we have no idea if he did. Now, the other day she challenged uh, the, the uh, media to wonder why the media wasn't as upset with President Obama when he fired one inspector general. And apparently nobody thought about it uh, much because they didn't come back and say, because, Kaylee, Obama only fired one inspector general in eight years, while Trump has fired five inspector generals in two months. Now, she was staying up in front and she was asked, by what authority does the president have to override governors on whether or not churches should remain open or remain closed or be opened in, uh, as the lockdown ends? And her response, that's hypothetical. She just dismissed it and then moved on. Well, let's see what an expert says. Judge Napolitano of Fox News, he's the Fox News expert, on law says, quote, the president does not have any authority to override the governor's unquote. Remember now, the president of the United States said he wanted churches declared essential and wanted the ban on church services around the country um, in various states, almost all states, uh, to be lifted so that people could go back to church. And he wanted it done right away. And if it wasn't done, 
he would override the governor. That's what the president said. But he doesn't have any authority to do so. And we have to know that because the president just can't go around saying things that he can't do. It's tiring. It's boring. Joseph Napolitano says the president could, quote, dispatch the DOJ, the Department of Justice, to file lawsuits in federal courts and judges can override the governor. But the president does not have that power on his own. Mr. President, read the Constitution. And if you can't read it, have somebody read it to you. President Trump accuses Michigan and Nevada of illegally issuing mail ballots when, in fact, there were applications for mail ballots. Says the vote by mail leads to massive fraud and says he'll step in. He will withhold funds, federal funds, from the states that have mail balloting this fall. Well, I've got news for Mr. Trump. Many states have absentee balloting, have had it for years. Approximately in California, 50% of the people that voted in 2016 voted by absentee. The president himself votes in Florida by absentee. The U.S. Constitution, Article 1, Section 4, says, the times, that quote, the times, places, and manner of holding Elections for senators and representatives shall be prescribed in each state by the legislature thereof. But the Congress may at any time, by law, make or alter such regulations. Unquote. The manner of elections to be held are controlled, is controlled by the state individually, not by the federal government. The only imposition by federal rule is the Congress may determine the time of choosing the electors, that's for president, and the day on which they shall give their votes, which should be the same throughout the U.S., throughout the United States, unquote. Those are the exact words from the Constitution. Now, how did Congress get into it? Well, in 1845, they made the Congress pass the law and made the first Tuesday after the first Monday of November the day for the states to choose presidential electors for the Electoral College to choose the president. This was done to prevent one state from influencing another in the election of the president. So the first Tuesday after the first Monday, that boils it down to Election Day can be held between November 2 and November 8. But it must be on the first Tuesday after the first Monday. Now, most states allow for absentee voting and for advanced voting. That's purely a prerogative of the state. They can have it or not. Mr. President, read the Constitution. Mr. President Trump was uh, addressing the group out in the uh, White House lawn, and uh, they was, he was answering some questions. And a CBS reporter who happened to have been born in China and who looks Chinese 
uh, asked him, why does he claim the U.S. is, quote, far better than any other country at testing for coronavirus? Quote, why does that matter? Why, she asked, is this a global competition to you if the very day Americans are still dying, are still losing their lives? Trump, quote, they're losing their lives every day, everywhere in the world. And maybe that's the question, a question you should ask China. Don't ask me, ask China that question, okay? The CBS correspondent, her last name is Jiang, J-I-A-N-G, asked, quote, why are you saying that to me specifically, Trump? Anybody that asks a nasty question he would give the same answer to anybody that would ask a nasty question. He ended the press conference by turning his back and walking back into the White House. Some people say that was a racist episode. Some people say it wasn't. But in light of his history, you'll have to judge for yourself. Remember, the judge in San Diego, the federal judge who made several rulings against Donald Trump in the Trump University lawsuit, where a number of people were suing Trump personally because they claimed he defrauded them by lying about his Trump University. Judge Curiel, C-U-R-I-E-L, was born in Indiana of Mexican immigrant parents. He is a 100% American citizen by natural birth, by the 14th Amendment, period. No question about it. So why did, uh, in interviews, uh, President Trump accuse him of being anti-Trump because of Trump's personal politics about Mexico and the wall on the border? And why did he accuse him of making rulings against Trump because he was the judge is Mexican. When it was pointed out to Trump that the judge was born in Indiana, uh, then he said, well, it's because of his Hispanic heritage and he's against the wall, uh, which I am running for president on. Well, as we all know, Trump lost that that uh, case. Uh, when I say he lost it, he settled. Although he's, he's told us many, many times that he never settles a lawsuit. He always wins. Well, he didn't win this time. He settled, and it cost him over $30 million. But that's not all. In June of 2015, when he announced for president, he declared that Mexico was not sending its best to the United States, that Mexicans were rapists, that were crim- they were criminals, and they were drug smugglers. They were Mexicans. So those three incidents is, in my mind, establish a pattern, and there's nothing he can do to get away from that. So now let's go back to uh, hydroxychloroquine, not the president this time, although he said he uses it, but it's his follower in the One America News Network presentation of feature stories narrated by one of their people, his name is Pearson Sharp, who is 1,000% for the use of hydroxychloroquine 
for fighting the coronavirus. He has features that he's done several minute features in which he has carried on and on and on with all kinds of anecdotes. He has individuals. I took it and it saved my life. Well, how do they know it saved their lives? How do they know they even had the, the coronavirus? They don't say, I was tested, I was hospitalized, and here is a letter from my doctor that said, you got it, and uh, let's treat it with hydroxychloroquine. No, he doesn't have anything like that. He just makes these flat statements and has people make these flat statements and has an occasional doctor say something positive about that particular drug. This in spite of the fact that the Veterans Administration, which is run by Donald Trump, and his appointees has stopped giving it to people because of complications and people dying. Then on, uh, on, on Friday, uh, this last Friday, he had this big feature and never once mentioned the release of the information that 96,000 patients were treated on six different continents at 671 different hospitals, and uh, that the study concluded that there were problems, that there were increased heart problems caused by abnormal heartbeats, and that some of those led to death. Tom Frieden, former director of the Center for Disease Control and Protection, says of this study, it means that the likelihood that it's a dramatic cure or substantially improves outcomes is very low. Not a mention of this study on One American News Network by Pearson Sharp until the next day on Saturday when he mentioned it and said that doctors claimed that the study wasn't good. I don't know how to counter that, because I believe in science. In the face of a 96,000-person study effectively contradicting the president, Dr. Donald J. Trump, and his acolytes on Fox News, like Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson and Laura Ingram, they are all in on hydroxychloroquine. All in. And yet, the one massive study that has been published by The Lancet, which is a British medical journal that is one of the top two in the entire world, that study says the medicine is not effective. And considering that almost 100,000 Americans have died from this disease, one would think that a study like this would have something more than a two or three word mention on a news report. One American News Network is not doing anyone any good, and no wonder it is considered to be way out, way out there. It is not a legitimate news source. Did Joe Biden, the presumptive Democratic nominee for president, commit another gaffe when he declared on a black-hosted radio program that a black who supports Donald Trump 
ain't blocked, quote unquote. Senator Tim Scott, the only GOP Republican in the uh, United States Senate and the, or the House, said 1.3 million black people voted for Donald Trump. Joe Biden told every single one of us we ain't black. Par for the course for Democrats to take the black community for granted and uh, browbeat those that don't agree with Joe Biden. Katrina Pearson, a black senior advisor to Trump's campaign and leader of its blacks, a leader uh, of its blacks for Trump, said, quote, white liberal elitists have continuously dictated which black Americans are allowed to come to the table and have a voice. Biden caved in and said, I shouldn't have been such a wise guy. But the fact of the matter is that Joe Biden is right. The Trump campaign is now selling t-shirts, black t-shirts, silk screened with, you ain't black, which Joe Biden said, if you supported Trump, you aren't black. You ain't black. They're selling for $30. I believe that the Trump campaign is stupid for doing so. And here's why. Trump's record. His personal record. In 1975, Donald J. Trump was a 29-year-old executive in his father's real estate development company. He had built and was building apartments in Ohio and in New York City. The Trumps were caught violating federal law and discriminating in housing against blacks and Puerto Ricans. They had a system when a black or a Puerto Rican came in and put in an application for to rent an apartment or to lease an apartment. They were their applications would be classified with a letter of the alphabet, like C, for example, for colored uh, and whatever they used. Uh, and that way, everybody in the organization knew that that person was to be denied, was to not even be shown an apartment. They were to be told that there were no vacancies. 1975, the Richard Nixon Department of Justice filed a lawsuit against the Trumps. Uh, One little footnote here. Donald Trump's father was arrested in 1926 at a riot at a Ku Klux Klan rally in Queens, New York, in which policemen were injured. Whether his father was a member of the Ku Klux Klan Trump's clan or not, we don't know. What we do know is he was officially arrested and charged with rioting and assault on police officers. So, the Nixon Justice Department filed a lawsuit. In charge of the case was a young lady, uh, an assistant U.S. attorney, who went after the Trumps And in return, the Trumps hired Roy Cohn, the infamous Joe McCarthy assistant, who 20 years earlier had had caused huge political scandal. And now there he was defending the Trumps in federal court. Somehow very nasty rumors got started about this woman 
U.S. attorney, with, uh, assistant U.S. attorney, and she was attacked bitterly and uh, by all kinds of smears and rumors and innuendos. And but somehow she survived. Now it never went to court because, unlike what Donald Trump has maintained for years, that he never ever settles a lawsuit, they settle. And it costs them millions and millions of dollars. And the court ordered, the, the consent decree that the Trumps signed ordered the Trumps to give up processing applications for apartments. They were not even to see the customers. So they couldn't tell if they were black or, or white or Puerto Rican. They simply were relieved of that responsibility by the court order. And they were relieved because they had illegally discriminated against blacks and Puerto Ricans. That, that is Donald Trump's legacy. And let us not forget two other things. It was President Trump who, in the White House, who, in his office, the Oval Office, referred to S-hole countries when talking about Haiti and African countries that were sending immigrants to the United States of America. In fact, he said he would prefer that immigrants, that all immigrants come from Norway. He has a track record of discrimination, of racism, and there is absolutely no question about it. It was Donald Trump who was demanding the death penalty for five young blacks who were accused of raping and beating a white girl jogger in Central Park when that wasn't true. All five men were found innocent. The cases dismissed against them, and they were each given over a million dollars by the state of New York for false imprisonment and for a false trial that found them guilty. Donald Trump's administration in the Treasury Department, at least, has done something wonderful. And I congratulate the Treasury Department for doing this. Secretary Mnuchin, you're a prince. The Treasury Department has issued sanctions against two top Nicaraguan Sandinista officials. Sandinista, you will recall, is another word for communist. The Army Commander-in-Chief, Julio Cesar Aviles Castillo, and Minister of Finance and Public Credit, Ivan Adolfo Acosta Montalva, had their assets, any U.S. assets that they owned, blocked, and U.S. people blocked from doing any business with these two men. They follow sanctions in 2008 by uh, of officials uh, because of uh, President Daniel Ortega's administration uh, instituted a bloody attack on dissenters. Aviles was sanctioned for not calling off the brutal attacks on dissenters 324 of which were killed by his troops. Acosta was sanctioned because he threatened banks if they helped any protesters do anything. They wouldn't let them have checking accounts. Previously sanctioned is Daniel Ortega's wife. President Daniel Ortega's wife, 
Vice President Rosario Murillo and Nestor Moncado Lau, L-A-U, were sanctioned for their role in the 2018 massacre. Congratulations, Trump Treasury Department. You did something really well. Thank you very much. A little bit of immigration here. The big lie. Immigrants keep Americans from getting jobs. The big liar. Center for Immigration Studies, CIS. The big truth comes from the National Immigration Forum. We all know that President Trump has been imposing more restrictions on immigration than have been ever imposed before, at least in modern times, or since 1924. Work visas are H-1B work visas. They allow a foreigner to come to the United States and work legally. HIV visa holders do not adversely affect U.S. workers. So says Madeline Zavodi of the National Foundation for American Policy that did a survey. And in the study, they found findings indicate 1% increase in H-1B visas reduces unemployment rate by 0.2%. Presence of H-1B visa holders raise employment among other workers in an occupation. Faster earnings growth also occurs for American workers. The study showed that H-1B visa holders earn at least as much as similar U.S. workers, if not more. And that's really critical here to know. Because assuming that study was conducted properly, and assuming the results are, were, were uh, analyzed properly, that means that the big lie that people like the CIS, the Center for Immigration Studies, like to promote that, America, that H-1B visas are issued only, only to foreigners because they are paid less than American workers, and that's not true. And they have no proof of it. The ones who say that, they just make it up as they go along. Okay, we have another one that we're going to touch on immigration, another issue, but it really, really is disastrous. It's setting up a huge disaster in the United States and will turn the United States eventually into another Japan or Germany or Russia, losing population and not growing at all. The American birth rate falls to its lowest rate since government started collecting stats in 1909. In 2019, 58.2 births per 1,000 women, 15 to 44 in age. The CDC National Center for Health Statistics says the number of births in 2019, 3.75 million, is the lowest in 35 years. The only age group with an increase in births were women in their 40s. Now, Trump is cutting immigration as much as he possibly can. When, the, when Trump is no longer president, that will change. But in the meantime, it's damaging the U.S. future because we're not replacing ourselves as a population. Is that understood? We're not replacing ourselves by birth. Fewer babies are being born 
that are required to just keep our, our population stable. Then when you restrict immigration, you're cutting down the potential replacement of the babies that weren't born. And yes, abortion has a lot to do with that. Since 1973, well over 60 million babies have been aborted in the United States of America. Those were 63 million people that would have been born, and some of them, uh, many of them, make it to would have made it to uh, adulthood. So we have a birth rate that's not replacing our population. We have uh, immigration being limited by President Trump, and we're headed for being Japan, Germany, or Russia. They're all losing population, and when you lose population, you eventually lose economic viability. There's only so many young workers that can pay enough taxes to keep the older people in government funding, Social Security, for example, or whatever they have in Japan or uh, Germany or Russia. So we're headed for a huge disaster unless our birth rate picks up or we have more immigrants. Remember, when we get an adult immigrant, we don't have to educate them. So that means that expense is out the window. They're already educated as a rule. And they come here and they're of work age as a rule. So they can start working and contributing right away. The baby can't. The baby's born and it's 18 years before they start getting to be uh, earning money and paying taxes. But immigrants that arrive here, adult immigrants, are already educated and ready to work. They start contributing right away. That's it for issue 104 of the Contreras Report and Hispanic View of the USA. Until next time, thank you for being here, and we'll talk to you then. Thank you.